I'm hoping this email finds everyone well. I'm trying to finish that work project while carrying Dan's dead weight. I've got to get my hair cut for Sinead's sister's bed and get the sweet gains in and find the time to eat before I... Look, James, get real. No one gives a about how busy you are. Hashtag rise and grind. Get real with the chicken and turkey range from Green Farm. Real protein, real tasty. Alive and kicking with Claire McKenna. This is News Talk. Yes, you can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire's Lair. Coming up this morning, psychotherapist Siobhan Murray on what burnout is and how we can make things less overwhelming. Pharmacist Laura Dowling on vaccine misinformation fatigue. And on the week where the Minister for Old People, Kathleen Lynch, said that older people need to get their lives back, I speak to Pat Towie. He is the chairman of the Balahadreen Men's Sheds about the importance of staying connected. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, it was great, actually. I got to spend some of it in Galway with my two best friends and our families. We experienced indoor dining, a few drinks, pier jumping, lake swimming, great laughs. And I felt like I was getting my mojo back. I always say, and I've said it several times on the show, that I'm one of the lucky ones over the last year and a half. It didn't really affect me in the way it did some Or so I thought. Uh, The last few months, I haven't felt myself at times unable to motivate myself back to pre-pandemic pace, unsure of who or what I want now. I was sort of on a roll, a trajectory of sorts, and then it all stopped, as many of you know. And ultimately, I do want to retain some of the lovely, slower-paced, nature-based ways that I adopted And in truth, I know you never really go back to anything. We're constantly changing and evolving. But what I discovered spending time having fun with some of my nearest and dearest is how much I missed normality and how great it is to feel some of it again. Joy and fun, I think, are such a part of health and wellness. Letting loose in whatever that means to you, it is truly good for the soul. And it was great to feel that again. We also sold our house, so that was a major milestone past. I found the cleaning of the house for the viewings rather intense. Um, I learned a lot about how you probably should clean a house. I thought, is this how my mum feels, cleaning on a Wednesday and a Saturday, doing all of that? But no, once the house has gone sale agreed, we have returned to the quiet chaos within which we live. I do think having the house clean and organised is another good for the soul move. If you write down a list and work through it and then sit feeling smug in a spotless house. But to be honest, I never seem to truly get there. And as I say, we've returned to chaos. I am psyching myself up now to begin packing up once more. So do keep me in your thoughts and send strength my way. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Now, I was contacted during the week by an alive and kicking favourite, Laura Dowling, known on social media as the fabulous pharmacist. She was feeling fatigued by the amount of vaccine misinformation she was having hurled in her direction and she wanted an opportunity to set the record straight. She is on the line now. Hello, Laura. How are you? Hi, Claire. Thanks for having me on. Laura, you use your page to discuss all kinds of topics from sunburn treatment to parenting to a recipe I robbed for getting veg into your curry that kids will eat. Um, Obviously, you do have a leaning towards health, you being a pharmacist and all. But when it came to the vaccine, 
Did you have an idea for what tone you wanted to take on the information you were giving? Yeah, the tone I wanted to take, as with all my posts on my Instagram, is to take the fear and mystique out of drugs and illness and health and to just give really fact-based information that is from a reliable source. So the sources that I would look to for that information would be the scientific community that have come together with peer-reviewed um, reports about any aspect of, you know, what the public health are, are putting out there for people to consume. And had you had people coming to you first asking for your advice? Were you, were you noticing that? I mean, you've been on the front line from the start. Yes, I I have. And certainly people come in to, with all kinds of questions to me um, every day. And I suppose that's what my page is about. It's about putting out there the information about all kinds of topics. So like you said, sunburn, when we went through that heat wave, I saw lots of people coming in. And unfortunately, they hadn't, you know, applied their sun cream the way they should have done, or maybe they'd stayed a bit too long in the sun. So I was just giving advice on how that they can, how they can ease their, their, their sunburn, etc. in easy digestible, you know, tidbits of information that can be easily shared as well. So just facts and so like, like the vaccine as well, then people come in and they, they, they understandably have a fear around um, vaccines, around medicines, around anything that I suppose could be perceived as, as new. And, um, and as I said, that's really understandable. But but what has been happening recently on my page is that I have had to disable comments about on on posts that I've done on vaccines because I have had, you know, a torrent of um, a torrent of people descending upon my page and putting their own comments in and unsubstantiated claims about the dangers of vaccines and the dangers of injecting people with with um the covid vaccines and that that's something that i don't like doing i i i love to have open debate and i you know i'm happy for people to ask me questions and to query what i'm what i'm saying and to disagree with what i'm saying uh, so long as it's civil and so long as it's from the right sources but i had read a study recently that comments on social media posts and um, that are not you know that are misinformed that are disinformation they do um they do make an impact on people and they they make an impact on how they form their decisions um, on the way that they look after their health so unfortunately i had to disable some of the some of the posts that i did i have a most recent one up that i, that I haven't disabled but it would just you know the, the flavor of the tone of it just wasn't uh, it was just concerning for me to have that on my page and obviously i just want to give out the facts and it's difficult, really, isn't it? Because I, I notice on your page that you actually use your followers and their opinions and their thoughts to fuel more debate and more discussion on a whole range of topics. You'd often put up like a question box or a comment box and reshare what people are saying. And that sparks yeah. more conversation. So that's very much what you're about. And yet this Absolutely. one, you felt you had to halt the discussion. I, I really did. Like, I mean, I did something recently even on, on, on cannabis and, you know, do people think it should be legalized? Because I'd had loads of comments in about people complaining that, you know, it wasn't legalized, people complaining that it was legalized. So I put it up and I put up all the comments that I got. Um, and it was kind of like 50-50, but I, I like to have that unbiased debate. And I think it's really important that we people do have a voice and people with genuine concerns get listened to and get answered as well, rather than kind of batted away and just, you know, 
well, these are the facts and that's it and deal with it. It's more that, you know, people should make informed choices. And and yes, I like to to um, to get my followers involved in my page so that they can give their their opinions. And I do put them up so everyone feels like as if they have had a voice. But yeah, unfortunately, with when it comes to misinformation and disinformation, actually scaremongering, I had to make a decision to just turn off the comments on some of the vaccine posts. You're listening to Alive and Kicking on News Talk with Claire McKenna and I'm talking to pharmacist Laura Dowling on vaccine misinformation fatigue. And then you have the vaccine vaccine hesitant people who have a worry, who don't really know where to turn, who are flicking through their Instagram and this is sowing seeds in their head. Do you think there is a place for people to have an informed debate, to put their hand up and say, I'm a bit afraid, I want to ask a few questions, I don't know how I feel about this and get that information answered. So I personally think there isn't enough informed debate in Ireland about people's concerns. I think that I hate the term anti-vaxxer because I think that that puts people that are in any way hesitant about a vaccine into a box, which is is not fair on them. You know, I would be hesitant about something that I didn't fully understand that people were just telling me to do. So I think that it's informed debate is really, really important. Now, not toxic debate. It has to be informed and it has to be from an educated source or people that know what they're talking about as well, not just people taking a screen grab of a random study that says, you know, blood clots are caused by this vaccine when they're not taking the percentage into context, the amount of people that it will happen to compared to the amount of vaccines that are given, the fact that the blood clotting is a lot with the vaccine is a lot rarer than the blood clotting that we're seeing in people that get COVID, in people that get long COVID. So it's about contextual debate and, you know, from a properly informed source. But I don't think that we're seeing enough of that. And then I can see why people then are annoyed about that. And it, it then gives birth to, I suppose, vitriol and anger online where the loudest voices get, you know, that, that shout the loudest, they get the most hits. And then, you know, anything that they say get, gets read and shared and, and, it, and it creates confusion and worry. And certainly, you know, while we're talking about beginning to vaccinate our 12 to 18 year olds, understandably, I'm a parent myself, people are worried about their children, you know. Yeah, and I have heard that even anecdotally from um, from people I know that they're happy enough to go ahead and take the vaccine. But when it comes to their kids, do they really know enough about it? And you're handed pamphlets and you're handed information and you can go to a government website, but it can be really hard to feel that you are making an informed choice. And what about the idea that comes about that we're all part of a massive experiment here and nobody really knows what the after effects are going to be that in five years time in three years time they could say oh actually sorry we, we got it wrong what, what do we know against that argument see yeah and that you know and i and i can understand why people are saying that i think what we have to remember is that vaccines by their very nature have saved lives for the last many many decades in in our world and it's the reason why we all live so long it's the reason why babies don't die young you know our polio vaccines our measles vaccines our smallpox vaccines like people used to just get very very sick and die so vaccines are the way forward and they're but they're, they're part of a bigger picture of sanitation and clean water as well obviously that's very important um 
but I think that people need to understand that when vaccines go into trials, there are a number of safety protocols that they have to adhere to before they're released onto the market. And the COVID vaccines have passed all those phases of safety. But there's long-term data that we always gather from vaccine trials that do go on for years, many years afterwards. Um, and that's what people are talking about, about the, you know, the 2023 N deadline. But, you know, the, the mRNA vaccines that they're saying are experimental jabs and that, you know, they have been in the process of being made for, for many years and studied and researched for many years. And we, but we've never really put all hands on deck because we've never had a pandemic that we needed them for. And now all the heads and all the countries and all the, the best scientists have come together and thrown loads of money at it, which is why it's been able to be, you know, speed tracked, I suppose, uh, through um, the admin process. Because a lot of the time with vaccines and any medicines for that matter, it's the paperwork and the, you know, the admin and all the bureaucracy that hoops that they have to jump through. But obviously, because this was a worldwide pandemic, uh, we wanted to get it sorted as quickly as we could. And it's amazing what we can do when we do put our heads together and we do try and, you know, be in it all together. And, and that has been the outcome. So in terms of um, the trials that have been going on and the safety data, the safety data is all there. We, we we, we know ourselves that there's risks to everything. There's risks to jet, getting into our car. There's risks with taking a paracetamol. There's patient information leaflets with every medicine uh, ascertaining, you know, you know, the one in 10 people that might get a headache from taking a drug, the one in a thousand that might get, um, you know, um, a, re a bad reaction, a bad rash. And then there's obviously the very minority of people that get a very adverse reaction to, to any kind of medication, vaccines included. And I think people need to kind of see the, the bigger picture from that and, and get it from the right sources as well. And I suppose we are where we are also in a pandemic. So you're kind of choosing between the effects of long term COVID and long term living with the pandemic or getting back to normal and protecting yourself against that, because obviously there's also risks to contracting COVID that we don't know about just yet. Uh, absolutely. And yeah, we, we don't know very much about COVID. We do know that it is, is a nasty illness. And if people if people get it, they can get very ill. And, you know, I get loads of questions on my Instagram about it as well. And I try to answer them in a really um, factual manner. Like, for instance, Claire, it did come out anecdotally that women were seeing changes to their period cycles when they were, you know, post-vaccine. Now, that then, you know, people were seeing this now. That during the vaccine trials, changes in menstrual cycles weren't being tracked. Now, that being said, during any vaccine trial, um, changes in menstrual cycles haven't been checked for in, in any vaccine, I don't think, ever. So, you know, and when 51% of the population actually get a period, that kind of says something about the establishment too, but yeah, we won't be down that track today. <laughs> who's making the decisions? I gather it's people who don't menstruate, but anyway. Yeah, uh, well, that's it. And I have a serious problem with that, but, you know, that's for a whole new, uh, that's another, a whole I'll new talking back another point. Day I, won't, that. I, won't, yes. I won't go down the rabbit hole of that, but, but anecdotally, women were seeing changes to their period. Now that could be a number of things. It could be the fact that they are stressed out, you know, because we all know that stress can it can affect menstrual cycle. We all, you know, either delay it, make it heavier, make it worse, make it a little bit lighter, make it come early, make it come late. Um, so stress can affect that. But also, um, you know, in our in our uterus, there is cells that are affected by the immune system. So if we are getting a vaccine that, you know, is, is set, set to, to, to prompt our immune system to, to fight an illness, 
that can you know that can have an effect on our on our uterus and, and our on our menstrual cycle as well so now what they're doing is they're gathering all this anecdotal evidence but they're also in in current trials for the vaccine they are tracking menstruation and seeing the effect that it will have so i'm always encouraging ladies um who message me about that and, and i actually did a post on it as well way back when people were messaging me and saying that they were experiencing menstruation cycles i say go on to the hpr website to make sure that you log these um side effects because that's the only way that they build up um the the, the, the only way that they build up a, a kind of a database of side effects so if you have even even if you got the vaccine a few months ago and you think that it may have affected the period that you had after that just go in and log it it may take a little bit of time but you'll be doing you know yourself and also the wider community um you'll be doing a tremendous service to them because the HPRA can gather all that data about it so Something else you think we should be talking about more is getting developing countries vaccinated instead of just high-fiving ourselves for our high vaccination rate. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I think that it, it's great that we have such a um, a buy-in to the vaccines. I was looking on the website today um, and we have 57.37 of people in Ireland have had one or more vaccines which is brilliant, you know, that that's great. But Nigeria have only had 0.68% of vaccines. Now, that is just crazy that we are, you know, slapping ourselves in the back and wanting to go back out socialising. And, you know, kind of, we've all had a very tough year and I get that and it has been so tough. But unless our other humans in the developing world are vaccinated, we aren't, we're, we're no way near getting out of this because as we all know, we've learned from listening to all the immunologists and all the scientists that when a group of unvaccinated people are together, you know, the virus spreads from one to another, but they all it also mutates and we can get more dangerous mutations. We can get more transmissible mutations like what we've seen in the Delta variant. And we know that the Delta variant is also inf- infecting younger people more. So there's that worry, too. So if the if the and I did an, I did a post about this as well on my on my on my Instagram as well, if 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 the virus is allowed to you know spread throughout the our developing countries because they're not vaccinated then we are is we're just going to be in a constant cycle of lockdowns of fear of of variants of mutations and there's just going to be there's going to be no point in it all we we actually do have to look after our developing countries we could very easily be in a developing country ourselves we're just damned lucky that we're not so that's the way I, you know instead of kind of procrastinating over whether or not to to vaccinate our under 12s which is is a long long time away i think anyway we should be pushing the vaccines to these developing countries for sure well laura thank you so much for, for coming on for being a medical professional with a science background and yet being open to having discussion and allowing people to have their fears recognised and answered. Uh, People can find Laura online. She is on Instagram, Fabulous Pharmacist. I do indeed believe you are fabulous. Laura Dowling, thank you you so, so much. Do you know what? It's to spread a bit of fabulousness, really. I don't actually think I'm fabulous myself. It's more to spread it all out there, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much, Claire. Coming up, Pat Towie, chairman of Balahadreen Men's Sheds on the importance of connection for the 45 to 90-year-old age group. Alive and kicking on News Talk. There were calls by a government minister this week to allow older generations to have their lives back. The pubs are open for pints and cafes open for coffee. 
But many of the social clubs haven't been given the green light to open their doors once more. Pat Towie is chairman of Balahadreen Men's Shed and he joins me on the line now. Hello, Pat. How are you? Claire, how are you doing? I'm very good, Pat. How did you come to have this title of, of chairman of a men's shed? Well, I suppose I'm a local man. I've been in business for over 20 years and there was a, an attempt by some guys to find a shed in Balladreen. And uh, I was approached and I suppose in business we all know each other and a very good friend of mine, Tony Kilorden, who lives in the UK, had a large shed and uh, after a discussion and our plans about what the benefits of a shed would be, Tony very kindly gave us the shed. So what is the purpose of a, of a men's shed? Well, basically, all over the country there's over 400 sheds. So it's literally a location where men only can attend. And there is lots of activities. Like traditionally, sheds in Australia were all about workshops. But what we found, even in our own shed in Balladreen, is it's much more a place where people connect. So guys that we would have retired teachers, farmers, widowers, bachelors, industrial workers. When you retire, it can be a lonely journey, particularly if, you're, if your family structure is fragmented or if you have nobody to motivate you to say, get out and, you know, there's more to life after you retire. So guys end up in a shed and they come there for the, for the connection, for the companionship, the friendship, the decency, there's love and kindness. So you can do so much in a shed. Like there was a program run out there with uh, the Irish Men's Shed Association called the Sheds for Life program. It was a, a well-being program that looked after every level of your, your well-being, include your diet, your, um, your exercise, your uh, how your mind space was and it was a very very enjoyable program and our shed in, in County Roscommon and Balladreen was one of the first sheds that was piloted in the country and was a hugely su- successful program. So what about the age group of 45 to 90? Why is that significant? You mentioned sometimes retirement or not having somebody in your life to kind of to push out there. What is going well, on in, in that time of, of your life that needs you to come together with other people? You see, in a large urban area, there's lots of distractions. You can go to the cinema, you can go to the parks, you can go you can go anywhere. But you have to consider that in rural parts of the country, and Balladreen would be a very rural part of the country, so we're, geographically we're on the border between three counties, Meora, Salmon and Sligo. There isn't an awful lot to do. Our town is an industrial town and would have lots, lots of satellite industries that feed into Arrivo, the, the two biggest employers in town. But when you, when you retire, like your, your working life is gone, you have no structure in your life. So what happens? You, you know, you're probably too old for the GEA club. You're, if you're not into golf, then you're, you're kind of segregated. If you're not into, if you don't have an interest or a focus, you're lost. You're lost for something to do. And guys end up in a men's shed. And there are great characters in men's sheds. So our shed, we do singing, we make films. We do wood turning, we do copper making, we have presentations, we get in sporting icons to talk about mental health. And guys will tell the stuff in a men's shed that they will not tell you when they go into the doctor's surgery. So literally, our men's shed would be the local health centre. It would be the local information centre. Guys will divulge information to other men about issues in their lives that they will not divulge to other people. And is it just general chatting that brings about this kind of sharing or is there a more formalised structure to encourage people to open up? 
it's 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 being comfortable with the people that you're familiar with and it's being comfortable with your surroundings. So I mean, you know, you could run a health program in the health centre. I can guarantee you not one of our fifty men would go there because they might be afraid of who'd see them going in. They might be afraid of what people, what other people would think. Whereas in a shed, everybody's familiar with each other and they're familiar with say who makes the tea, who sweeps the floor, who arranges the game of cards, who instructs in the workshop. There's no everybody has an input. Like there's no magic formula, but it's just that there's a great people connection in our shed and we all get on mighty. Like I'm a retailer, I have a spare shop in town and I would deal with between seven and ten thousand customers a week. But I don't know a lot of them personally. I just know them as customers. So the shed has allowed me to get to know people on an intimate level. And some of the guys will come to me and say, look, I have a problem at home. I can't get in for a blood test or my wife is sick and I'm getting a bill from the nursing home. What happens there? How can I reach out for help? So I mightn't have the knowledge, but I might know somebody that would have the knowledge. And we can bring back that information to guys in a shed, in, in the environment that they know that they're secure. You're listening to Alive and Kicking on News Talk with Claire McKenna and I'm talking to Pat Towie, Chairman of Balahadreen Men's Shed, about the importance of staying connected. How did you cope with not being able to meet during the lockdowns? Oh, it was, it was shocking. Would you believe it when Garda Colum Horkin's funeral cortege passed through Balahadreen, all the men shed, we paid him a, a homage with the Guard of Honour. Now, the whole town of Balladreen was out for that Guard of Honour. But we, our, our main shed is just off the, the main thoroughfare in the town. So we met in front of our shed and we said, lads, the chances of getting back into our shed for the foreseeable future are null and void. How are we going to stay connected? So we came up with this idea of townland walks. So the concept behind the townland walk was that every member in our shed would host a townland walk. And it was his responsibility to pick the route and to bring us to a location that he was familiar with. So he was able to give us a little culture talk. This is where I grew up. This is the school I went to. This is the things we got up to. Now, the advantages of that was for there would be lots of guys in sheds all over the country that would just sit there with their arms folded. They might be shy and reserved, and they may not have the confidence just to have an input. But the townland walks for us were an absolutely very positive development and we have been to all the townlands all over where we live in Balladreen but we also have ventured out to bordering counties and we're planning to go to Clare Island later on this month. So what does the club mean to you personally Pat? For me like I've been involved in different things in the town but there's huge serenity and an honestness in our shed and there is no there's no politics isn't involved there's no agendas or no egos. We're just there for the betterment of every other man. And like I have been lucky and successful in business and I'm privileged to be able to give my time back to our guys and to other sheds. Like I'm a support volunteer worker for three or four other counties. And the National Association are a brilliant initiative for men's sheds all over the country. It is, it, it's a great organisation. And like it is difficult to run a shed because... You need funding, you need to pay your insurance, you have lice, you have heat, you have different expenses. So the service that Men's Sheds provides all over the country is instrumental to the well-being, the positive well-being of all the men that come. But we need, nationally, we need the state to realise that, you know, we need four or five million every year to keep the sheds 
in a position where we can support all the wonderful men all over the country that have contributed to the well-being of our country. And now they're retired and they should be looked after in retirement life. And would you try, Pat, to encourage somebody who might be isolated to come to the shed or... Like, would you knock on someone's door and, and get them to join? Or do you just leave it so, to people to find it themselves if they wish? Yeah, look, I would know an awful lot of characters around. And we would, we would work closely with all the different associations in town. So we would be well, well aware. We would be aware of guys that would be in our shed that might need. Like, we don't like to talk about mental health. We like to talk more about your emotional state. So we would know guys that maybe desperately need help. They might need a connection or a companionship. And definitely we would encourage every one of our men that are in our shed there are wonderful ambassadors for what we do because it's word of mouth. We have no recruitment drive to get guys in. You'll meet somebody on the street and they'll say, you should come to the men's shed. And they might say, well, what happens in the men's shed? Do I have to get dressed up? You know, all those things. <laughs> you can come to a men's shed. You can come whatever way you feel like. With your Wellington's on you, with your dirty trousers, it doesn't matter. There is no judgment in a shed. You come into the shed because you're a man and that you're welcome. There's no judgment. Oh, Pat, I have to say, I'm, act- I'm after shedding a couple of tears listening to you talk about what it means to you, what it's meant to your community, what it can do for, for people. Um, I think it's, it's, it's really important when we talk about our health and our well-being. Staying connected is so important. And the fact that you're creating an atmosphere where people can do that and, and you're seeing the benefits of it, it's, it's just incredible. Yeah, and look, I, I'm, I'm lucky to, to be in a position to give it the time. And uh, as I said, I really enjoy it. And for, if there are any people with influence that are listening to this programme while they're on their holidays from the doll, you know, they really need to seriously consider putting money aside for the Men's Shed Movement nationally because it is a fantastic organisation. And if there's someone listening who would like to join, would like to grow their friendship circle, change things up a bit, or maybe they are battling with loneliness and isolation, but they can't get up the nerve to walk in that door, it's intimidating to walk into a situation where you don't know people. What would you say to them? So look, at there is a main shed everywhere. In every village and town in the country, there's a main shed. Ask somebody and somebody will buddy you in the door. Somebody will walk in the door shoulder to shoulder with you and show you what it's like. Well, you're some man for one man. Pat Towie, chairman of Balahadreen Men's Shed. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, Claire. It was a pleasure. Coming up, psychotherapist Siobhan Murray on burnout and how to make things less overwhelming. Alive and kicking with Claire McKenna. This is News Talk. Now, we can all feel a little jaded from time to time, overwhelmed by things life throws at us, or sometimes just the daily grind gets us down. But... What when things reach breaking point? Burnout is the focus of psychotherapist Siobhan Murray's work. Her book is called The Burnout Solution and she joins me now. Hello, Siobhan. Good morning. So, Siobhan, why did you choose burnout as your specialist subject? It's interesting. I suppose I've experienced burnout myself. Um, I've had many different uh, jobs, different experiences. I've worked in the music industry. I've worked for not-for-profit. I've worked corporately. Um, and I think I only went to college 10 years ago. I, I got my degree in counselling and psychotherapy. Um, and that really gave me the opportunity to move away from industries where I had used different things. I'd used alcohol when I was in the music industry and probably up into my 30s as a coping mechanism. 
um, used that to try and get past burnout because I didn't understand. I mean, you know, 15 years ago, people didn't really talk about it. So you had that go-to sort of whirlwind way of of dealing with life. I must have it all. You know, I've got the mortgage and the childcare and the car and all of that. Um, And it wasn't really until I went to college and I started studying counselling and psychotherapy and part of that is you have to do your own therapy. It's you have to you don't get away from that. And I realised an awful lot about myself, which I'd never known. Um, so that all those habits that I've been doing and all those experiences of burnout that I had had, that I could sort of look back in reflection and go, that's what I kept doing to myself. Um, I was able once I qualified and I kind of got through the where am I going with this? It nearly fell into my lap naturally that that was the area that I gravitated towards. Um, and and more so each year, more and more. And I absolutely love working it because I can see it in people and I can see the triggers in people and the behaviours in people, what they've done in the past that is keeping them in that loop. So therefore, how do we break those those habits and how do we create new ones? So what is it then? What's the definition of burnout and what are the symptoms? So if you look at the World Health Organization, they call it, it's an occupational phenomenon, which you break that down. That means then, therefore, it's only work related, occupational. Um, You look at the definition that I subscribe to, which is it's emotional, physical and mental exhaustion brought on by emotionally demanding situations. So even using that, you can now take that out of the occupational and move it into home. You can move it into extended family. You can move it into situational, very much move it into a global pandemic and the emotional impact that's had on us. Um, that's That to me is what burnout is. But interestingly as well, Claire, what if you look back in the 1970s where burnout came from, it was used for people who worked in the caring professions. So they were the doctors, nurses, even, uh, and I remember saying this to, to somebody else going lawyers and they laughed and went, oh, are they really, are they really actually caring? But they would be people who were dealing with people. I don't subscribe to it being to do with the profession that you're in. It is to do with the type of person that you are. So that if you are somebody who is a high achiever who wants to do their best, it doesn't matter what industry you work in. It doesn't matter what level of industry you're in. It doesn't matter whether you're in industry or you're working from home, as in you're, you're working in the home. If, if you're constantly striving to do better and better and better, you're going to be more susceptible to burnout than somebody who just goes, oh, I've got a job. This is great. You know, I'm going in nine to five um, or working at home. Yep. Don't care if the dishes are piling high. It, it'll be grand. So it's about the person, not the industry. Yeah, it's so interesting. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that because obviously with the Industrial Revolution, we started to celebrate productivity mm. and always working and striving and achieving and now we're in the always on culture so that's also massive but we're also sold a story that we can be the best that we can be Mm. and we should be meditating and manifesting and it's all very much pushing us away from just being happy with where we are right now. Yeah, like what's wrong with being happy? What's wrong with being uh, I have a job or, or normal, just yeah. or average. Uh, but it, but it's this whole thing of, okay, you have a job and then someone says, are you going to go for a promotion? 
well, why do you need to go for a promotion if you're happy in your job? You know, where is that? Where is, and I see it in a lot of the, the late 20s, early 30s who are working in the big, maybe tech companies where there is that constant um, push within industry to your your review is up, you're going to get promoted, you've got to work harder and harder and harder. Uh, and I, I kind of think we need to take a step back from that and go, you know what, it's okay to just be. Yeah. Here. Yeah. And obviously through this job, I've met so many people with very serious illness mm. that would give anything to just be average and just yeah. be normal and just go to work and come home in the evening yeah. and let the dishes pile up, that they're not real issues. But it's it's very hard to reconcile mm. with that when you get stuck in the rat race or the circle mm. and the cycle you're in. So when you have burnout, how will you feel? How do you recognise burnout? What are the manifestations of it. So just before I even go into that, one thing I want to be very clear, anything I'm going to say now, people, I think everyone will be able to go, oh, I have that, I have that, I have that. We're talking of periods of three months and longer when you have these. So it's not the odd occasion where you've got really bad sleep disturbance where you're just not able to sleep. Uh, It's not, um, you know, it's, it's where it's that continual. So you might feel and there, a lot of them are quite similar to sort of low grade depression. So disengaged from work and from family, um, disillusioned with your work, not feeling valued in work uh, with what you're doing, with your colleagues, with uh, the maybe the culture in work, um, very cynical about everything. You know, what's the point? And again, we have days like that, but it's that continual where we're just not getting out of that funk. Um my experience of working with clients is where where we're starting to see chronic burnout uh, starting to appear is high levels of of emotion, very teary, um, you know, w- maybe not able to react to situations or to jobs um, uh, tasks in the way they would have previously. They just find it very overwhelming. Um, One of the bigger things that I see is that increased dependency on alcohol um, and food um, as a way of coping, as a perceived distressor. And, you know, that has a knock on effect where the alcohol consumption as that perceived distressor then affects the sleep, then affects how we eat the next day, our mood, our cognitive reasoning, our ability to process that decision fatigue kicks in. You know, we're just... I don't know what to do. And and then the spiral goes and it becomes really difficult to pull ourselves out. And it's, it becomes overwhelming, not wanting to exercise. And exercise is not jumping around the place or going to the gym, but just even getting out simply for a walk. So it literally the layers start and then it becomes very difficult to pull out. You're listening to Alive and Kicking on News Talk with Claire McKenna and I'm talking to psychotherapist Siobhan Murray about burnout and how we can make things less overwhelming. We will talk about the solutions because that's what you're all about and, and I do love that. But I just wanted to touch on the, the pandemic because mm. I think there's lots of us who think, sure, we've been doing nothing for the last year and a half. And that's not true. Just because we've been in lockdown, not only have we been managing the anxiety and the stress, but People have been juggling homeschool, working from home. It's been a whole different way of living. Could that in itself just cause burnout? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, the way I describe what happened March 2020 is we were all in our houses and our apartments and wherever we live. 
And suddenly, with all the windows and doors open, out of nowhere, a family of hungry brown bears went onto your balcony and your corridor in your back garden, wherever you live. Uh, so we ru- adrenaline goes, everything's on a fight or flight. We run around, we close the windows, doors. We stay in that heightened state of fight or flight or freeze. And we are then aware that those hungry brown bears are in our in our space. We've had those hungry brown bears in our space for 18 months. We've got used to them. Sometimes we ignore them, but other times they kind of wake up a little bit and they rear their head and that puts us back into their heightened state. But we've been in a heightened state. Our bodies, that physicality, um, our adrenaline, our adrenal glands, we've had that. Whether COVID has affected you and your family specifically, it's affected you because of the news. It's affected you because of walking into the supermarket, seeing people with masks. It's been everywhere we are. So we've had to deal with that. That, our bodies, were not meant to be in that heightened state of fight, flight or freeze. We're supposed to be in that when we see danger, then we have a moment where the danger uh, goes away. We reset our bodies, life goes on. But we haven't, we've 18 months, our bodies have been in the hungry round bears. Yeah, for far too long. Yeah. So look, it's not going anywhere um, and neither do busy schedules, Mm. whether it's family life, work life, whatever it is that has Mm. you burnt out. Is it about changing your reactions to things as opposed to changing everything around you? Yeah, I think what what's really important is to understand if anything that I've said, if it's, if it's resonating with people to go, OK, actually, I, that that's, you know, this I felt like this for quite a while now. I would say to people, you know, what you've got to do is sit down, look at your negotiables and your non-negotiables. We are, as human beings, great at creating quite busy lives for ourselves and um, sometimes we don't need to. We can actually take a break. It's not that we have to stop doing certain things, but we can say, okay, you know what? I'm going to take a break from doing X, Y, and Z because I'm going to focus on what I call your four pillars, which is your sleep, nutrition, exercise, and clutter. So there might be other things that you just put yourself under pressure to do because you think, you know, and I do think this is a very Irish thing. If we're not doing something, there is this little voice going, "Mm, you're very lazy. Mm, Doing nothing isn't really celebrated and yet it's so important as you say to get into that rest or digest what's clutter we hear a lot about the other pillars often but what's clutter so clutter falls into to two sides you're talking about the physical clutter that is around you so if it is really basic is if you have a cluttered environment your brain is cluttered because you're kind of going where am I going now there's organised chaos and there's having a bit of a mess and you know if you have small kids and or teenagers believe me they don't know that you can actually open the dishwasher and put things in um, they just think the sink is there and then the magic fairy puts it in. But it, it, it's about that big clutter. But also, I'm talking about the clutter, the internal chatter in our heads, clutter of toxic relationships that bring us down as well, that don't make us feel good about ourselves. And a lot of those relationships can be extended family. Now, we can't cut our extended family or it could be parents, you know, as adults, we can have quite toxic relationships within adult siblings and our parents. We're not going to cut those out, but we're going to take charge of how much time we spend with those because we know 
that I don't feel great when I yeah. come out of that. So declutter what's not serving you. So Absolutely. Siobhan, if we're on top of these things, should we be leaping out of bed every morning, ready to attack the day, no. smiling all through the day 24-7? No, we need to acknowledge that there's days where lying on the sofa and watching Netflix with a cup of tea is great. I have a, a way of describing self-care. Self-care is not getting your nails done or your hair done or um, a bubble bath or for the guys, you know, going off and playing golf or... You know, or sitting th- scrolling through your phone. Phone. That's not self-care. The, 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 the hair and the nails, that's maintenance. If that's your thing, that's maintenance. Self-care is asking yourself, what do you need? The hard questions, what do you need right now? that's going to serve you well and following through on that answer. So that might be you are cross-eyed tired and you absolutely can't put one foot in front of the other and going to the gym is going to put more uh, pressure on your adrenal glands and that's not what you need to do. It is sit in the sofa or actually it is lashing rain outside but you're not tired and really putting on a coat and a hat and just going out for 15 minutes is what you need to do. That's self-care. Yeah, and tuning into yourself. Well, Mm. look, there is so much more about what you can do because I think it's really important not to just talk about the problem and leave it there because we end up feeling worse. But the book is called The Burnout Solution, 12 Weeks to a Camera You. Siobhan Murray, thank you so much for coming on. You're so welcome. Thank you. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to Simon Keane, to Garrett Mulhall and Jojo Cordoza, who was on sound. And thanks as ever to you for listening. I will see you next week. (laughs) 